Hello there and welcome to TWM, the weekly roundup programme of the Scottish Football Monitor, asking the questions the mainstream media will not ask, right here at sfm.scot. Hello, I'm John Cole and this week the curtain was drawn in the football season with the finals of the Scottish Cup and the Premiership playoffs. It's been an emotional week too for Celtic uh, and their fans as the 50th anniversary of their European Cup win in Lisbon was celebrated around the world. A shorter TWM than usual this week, but the Scottish Cup found its way back to Parkhead for the 37th time this weekend after an exciting tactical final between Aberdeen and Celtic. Aberdeen drew first blood in the game and appeared to have the upper hand until the second period when their tireless pressing game sapped their energy and Celtic took more and more control. Befitting of the occasion and the quality of football on display, a dramatic finale was in store when late last year, an injury time winner, this time from Celtic's Tom Rogic, secured the trophy. One of these games when both teams put so much into it that it was a pity somebody had to lose. Aberdeen, if it's any consolation to their fans, certainly pushed their opponents all the way. And there were 25,000 disappointed but intensely proud Dons fans cheering their team at the end. Aberdeen fans, of course, will hope that they can build on that performance and improve next year. Celtic fans will know that a repeat of their unprecedented domestic unbeaten run is unlikely, but will measure progress by performances in Europe. Dundee United, sadly, will have to measure their progress uh, progress next term on their ability to achieve promotion to the Premiership. There is little doubt uh, that United are a Premiership club, but it's equally undeniable that their football is not currently at that level. The Arabs' failure to overcome a very poor Hamilton Aki's side over two matches in the playoff final is living testimony to the reality that reputation alone is worthless if it's not translated into performances. Few would argue against the notion that the Premiership would be a better place with United in it and that they offer much more in terms of fan power, tradition and prestige than Aki's do. However, the name of the game is Sporting Merit, and by that criterion, Aki's deserve to maintain their top-level status. It'll be interesting to see how Dundee United approach next season, and perhaps the comings and goings at Tannadice will decide the very future of that club. All of Scottish football is rooting for them, of course, but for the moment, the congratulations are very much with Martin Canning and Hamilton. Well, the Celtic success story at the weekend came on the cusp of the anniversary of their great win in Lisbon in 1967. A charity event at Glasgow's Hydro, attended by surviving members of the team who won the European Cup, by scores of A-list celebrities and by 20,000 fans, was a fitting tribute to those 11 Scots whose achievements remain unequalled after half a century. Last week, in part one of an interview with Lisbon line Jim Craig, Jim took us behind the scenes at Celtic in 1967 and offered some context for the success of that campaign. This week, in the final part of the chat, Jim talks emotionally about his teammates, his dad and the fans, as well as a pitch-side view of the final itself, its aftermath, the impact it had on Scottish football and the immortality conferred on those involved. Famous story about about Bertie Old in the in, in the tunnel as you were waiting to go upstairs. Was it did it really help? 
Yes, I did. It was spontaneous too for Bertie. I mean, um, by that time we had seen Inter and they looked very glamorous compared to us because we'd been in the sun for uh, a couple of days. Well, not really in the sun. We'd been yeah. out in the sun training and stuff like that. And you go blotchy, don't you, when you're a Glaswegian and a bit of red-faced and all that kind of thing. Well, they looked, you know, bronzed and oiled and they had mohair uh, shirts on and did, did they actually look intimidating? Oh, you aye, the boots look magnificent, by the way, you know, and they look very tall until you approach because stripes make you look course, tall yeah. and hoops make you look broad. In fact, you know, uh, from then on, uh, I would reckon that every time I went to a supporters' function, and in those days we used to attend a lot of them, somebody would say to me, I didn't realise you were as tall as that. <laughs> and, I, and I was wondering, I thought, why does everybody say that? And it only made a hoops make you look squat yeah. rather than, than big, which the, the, the stripes made interlook. But when we so got did, did everybody join in? But when, when, when oh, sure, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, because it was just, you know, when you're walking out there, it's kind of, it is a kind of apprehensive moment for. For, for everyone and um, and that was a great way to kind of calm my nerves I mean they were looking at us as all you know we were crazy but um, and Jimmy's still trying to swap jerseys with Fakete before the game you know big man I'll see you after the game and all that you know but really? um, oh aye but <laughs> it was just <laughs> and Gia Kintu was a really nice man I, you know I met him later on and uh, passed away now, yeah he? he has unfortunately and uh, I don't know if his English was um, very good at that time. Later on, when I, I met him at the 2002 European Cup final at Celtic Park, at uh, Hampden Park, and um, had a nice chat with him there. But by that time, his English was very good. And uh, but Jimmy was just desperate to get the big man's jersey off him, you know, and do a swap. Yeah. So that got us off to a great start because it calmed the nerves and uh, for those who had them and. Um, you know, the game got underway and everything was pretty good on the pitch. We felt good and, you know, now it's time to show what we can do. Well, I suppose now, I'll get this over and done with then, the, the tw- 12th minute of the game. Was it a penalty? Not at all, man. You know, that guy was uh, just useless, that referee, by the way, right? And uh, he had a bit of trouble in uh, the World Cup 1970. He, he handled uh, Brazil versus Mexico and, of course, it was in Mexico. And he got absolutely crucified in the papers because uh, he penalised during the game he penalised Mexico regularly and let Brazil away with equally mm-hmm. doubtful tackles you know and he was accused of being a, a homer although it was Mexico the homer meaning that the bigger team it was a homer towards them you know no I didn't think it was a penalty I, I deliberately ran across his path I freely hold my hands up and say that and um, just to make sure he couldn't get a shot in and he was a left footed player going down the inside right channel so he's I thought he'd pull the ball onto his left foot, so I just ran diagonally to block him. And um, he went down. Curious enough, is a, uh, there's a really good book out just now by my old pal Pat Woods, and um, Pat mentions in there that uh, when Jack Mowat was asked who had refereed the 60 final in Glasgow, yeah. when he was asked about it, he said he would have given an indirect free kick, which is one of those non-decisions you know what yeah. I mean it's, it's useless for both teams it doesn't give it actually a... wasn't in direct free kick in the <laughs> well, final wasn't it yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so that that's one of those it gets the referee off the hook he's made yeah. a decision right but it's not going to affect either team because nothing ever happens from an indirect free kick particularly when it's in the box you know I mean 20 yards from goal you've got a slight chance but in the box there's no chance because just the kick gets blocked and, and Jack said that that would be the, the, the ideal decision <laughs> but but that that goal at the time it, it was pretty much against the run of play wasn't it it was and uh, without us realising it it helped us because 
that was their natural game was to score a goal and then sit back a bit and they did which meant that we got possession and from then on we dominated possession in the first half and they got very very few chances themselves the goals and we had an astonishing number of chances of goals and that continued at half time the boss said to me you know forget about it get on with things full time he said to me a bit dodgy Kearney you know and I said ah, I didn't think so but anyway you know by that time we're all happy so you know we were fine but um, when it started in the second half you know it was um, as in the first half them holding on to the lead and us doing our best to uh, pull one back and I've said before that my own feeling was that we were getting a little bit stressed because although we had all this possession, we're still one down, mm-hmm. you know, and I certainly felt like that at that point. <clears throat> and when the goal came, you know, people were saying that Tam shouldn't have been there because I was already there. Yeah. And if one full back was up, the other one shouldn't have been up. But you've got to remember that by this time, although we've dominated the play ever since the penalty, we're still one down. And whatever plan we had in operation is beginning to creak a wee bit because everybody just wants to get forward and get in a position to have a crack of goal or a lay off a pass to somebody. Yeah. So that was the reason that that happened. And it, and it worked absolutely perfectly on the day, you know. And the unfortunate thing for Bobby Murdoch was that just before that, I gave a similar pass to Bobby Murdoch and it would have been perfect for him to hit with the right foot but he had the problem with the right foot at the time and he was not feeling very comfortable with the right foot and he let it run onto his left and by that time they came yeah. out and blocked the shot mm. and from there the ball went back and then move built up again and that was where the goal, the goal scored. scored so it was it was two passes in quick succession one could have been the goal if Bobby had had the right foot working well and the second one, Tam just caught it right on the meat. Do you still kind of can you still visualise it happening? You know that that moment. No, I can't really uh, put myself back in that uh, position. What I mean, what I, I, I mean, it was fifty years ago, John. You know, and uh, I can't really do that. But when I see it in television, um, you know, I think to myself, uh, I look, <laughs> I look unbelievably calm. <laughs> which I'm not sure I was at the time, you know. And I can remember what I was doing. I was waiting for, I mean, I was watching the ball, but out of the corner of my eye, I was looking ahead and I had at least two Italians had come to block me and I was waiting for another one to come as well and that was when the pass was going to get played. Yeah. And in the end, one did move, you know, and I played the pass to Tam, but another guy came out towards Tam and if that guy had kept running... Yeah, yeah he turned know, his bike on him. Turned his bike he? on him, yeah. right, and... Uh, and it just shows you the little things in football sometimes make an enormous difference. At that point, is it, you know, are you convinced that you're going to win? Yes. I mean, the one thing I didn't mention earlier on, but the, the one thing that happened that day that probably made the biggest um, impression on me was that when we came to the ground, it was quite obvious that we weren't going the right way. Uh, and somebody shouted from by the boss, said, boss, all the, bo- all the people I got walking the other direction, and the boss had a word, with the driver who didn't actually know where the National Stadium was apparently, right? So he followed the crowds. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, it meant that we were late in changing and we we couldn't go out and do very much practice. So we, we came up quite late. After your hike the night before, of yeah, course, you decided yeah. to go a bus ride. Yeah, yeah. And um, as, we, um, as we came up the tunnel, I could not believe the number of green and white shirts that were in the stadium. It was quite mind-boggling to be quite honest because 
I don't know how far Estoril is out of Lisbon, but it's a considerable distance out of Lisbon. You know, it's not on the outskirts or anything like that. It's quite a bit down further away. And um, uh, we had heard the fans arriving and all the rest of it, but uh, we hadn't seen too many uh, in Estoril. And uh, oh, the numbers there in the green white strips were just was mind-boggling, you know. And uh, I think... Uh, <laughs> We're really keen to win, you know, <laughs> but we've now got an extra problem because we cannot lose for these people. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I mean, it, it, it would have been a really emotional thing because, oh. I mean, I mean the, the closest I can get to that kind of thing was, was what happened in Seville. You know, yeah. we, were, we were both working yeah, sure, for, yeah. for Celtic, yeah. and yeah. you know, that night, that responsibility because there's so many people who travel. and Yeah, and, and unbelievable. Do, do you think that modern players have that connection? Oh, they do, yeah. Um, yesterday, I mean, we're, we're broadcasting this day after Celtic have just been presented with the Championship Trophy and, um, you know, you can see the reaction they have uh, towards the fans. No, yeah. you think it's, it's genuine? Yeah. Then you're, oh you're, yeah, it is genuine. But on that day, it was just the amazing numbers. And I was, I went. I, I saw my dad. Um, I never saw him after the game, but um, he was sitting up there with a Celtic scarf on, you know. And my dad, a dedicated hippie, <laughs> sitting with a Celtic scarf on. And nobody took a photograph in those days because people didn't have selfies. So. <laughs> you know, you had to have a proper camera to take a photograph. And I don't think anybody in my family, my dad was with my Uncle Philip, my godfather, my Uncle Pat was there as well. And uh, my mother's brother-in-law. And uh, none of them had a camera, so I didn't see the photographs. But I was told that dad was sitting there with a, uh, a Celtic scarf on. And then, of course, uh, I've got to go back a bit because when I gave away the penalty. He said, apparently to Uncle Philip, I've come all this bloody way to see that, by the way, right? And, <laughs> and then he later on, when I came back, um, and we're having a chat about the, the final in our home, you know, I was living at home at the time, and um, he said he'd been really worried about going through life known as the father of the guy who gave away the penalty <laughs> kick. <laughs> and I said, well, with all due respect, Dad, I had a bigger problem. <laughs> I was the guy <laughs> giving, <laughs> giving away the penalty kick, you know. So. That, that must be, I mean, that must have been a really profound uh, feeling to know that your, your dad was there oh, and, yeah. and how proud you must have made sure. him, you know. And uh, I've been back a few times, Elizabeth, uh, since then. And I always push off for myself for a wee while yeah. and have a look at where he was. Because yeah. uh, I, I knew what sector he was in with the ticket. And uh, poor man died in uh, 2001, 91 years of age. Mm. Yeah. And it was a fascinating story there as well because um, Dad fell down the stairs, had a stroke, we think. Uh, there was marks on the wall of the the hall where Lucy's or somebody tried to grab the hall, you know, and uh, when my brother and I found him, he was in the kitchen, he'd crawl through the kitchen, and um, that was the 17th of November, 2001. The funeral was about 10 days after that. I'm not sure of the precise date because there was a post-mortem and everything, so anyway, on the day of the funeral, uh, Bertie wanted to pick up Jimmy Johnson to take him there, and as they pulled up in Lures Avenue in Glasgow, in the south side in Glasgow, uh, Bertie, uh, sorry, Jimmy turned to Bertie and said, um, 
When he asked you a question, Bertie says, have you ever heard of motor neuron disease? Bertie said, uh, motor neuron disease? I've never heard of that. Why? He says, well, I've been just diagnosed with it. And he says, I'm not too sure what it is. Mm. And that was 2001. And I would think by the date we're doing this, you know, 2017, I would think most people know what motor neuron disease is. Yeah. Um, because, um, you know, some high-profile people like Jimmy have had it. And uh, it's, it's kind of well publicised, but it just shows you how it takes a tragic event sometimes to... Indeed, the I think that to to some extent the you know the 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 epithet the Lisbon lines, which was kind of bequeathed on you guys by uh, by the press, mm -hmm. um, probably within a few days pro of the of that cup final, it's it's kind of defined you as a team. Yes, but how do you think that that, that Lisbon itself in that in that whole season experience of winning the treble, well, winning everything that that, that you that you were in for that year? How do you think it's defined you as a person? I mean, I, I know I know you've got you've got five children and uh, you've been happily married now for you know like nearly fifty, well, yeah, forty eight years or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but how you know how much has that gone to defining you? Well, don't forget that you know people always ask me, was that the biggest moment of your life? I said it was the biggest moment of my professional sporting life. But I met Elizabeth the following night yeah. in Glasgow for the first time. So I mean, nine children, sorry, uh, five children, nine grandchildren later. That has to be the biggest moment. Yeah. Um, but um, the children have grown up with it. Um, they are normal children. Extremely sarcastic. Dad, are you going to have one of those leg end functions tonight? <laughs> it's never legend, leg end. You wearing a school blazer? <laughs> and, uh, you know, typical kids. Very proud of their dad, but, you know, they don't make a point of pushing it or anything like that. So that's the right way it should be. And But, um, they, but, but they must be proud as well. Oh, of course, yeah. And it's been a, it's been a great... Um, uh, time for me, 50 years to go through your life as a Lisbon Lion, because I mean, don't forget, during the 90s, I, sp I spent the whole decade of the 90s watching rugby with the four boys playing all yeah. over the place, and wherever you went, somebody come up for a chat about the Lisbon final or something like that. And it, it, you know, the, the fact that I'm a Lisbon Lion has led to some funny moments, and um, there was um, a game where James was playing for Glasgow against Swansea, and it was down at Swansea, and uh, I was with my sister in law, Monica. And uh, I don't know where Elizabeth was, she was probably watching one of the other boys play somewhere. But anyway, um, uh, James went on this great run, did a lovely shimmy, went past a couple of guys, and as another guy came towards him, he shimmied as though he was going to go left, and at the last minute passed the ball backwards mm -hmm. to the guy on his inside who scored in the corner. But what happened then was that a guy called Scott Gibbs, who was a British Lion as well, stiff arm James, happened with an arm and up, the way upwards and James went right over backwards right so I stood up and I shouted to the referee get that so and so off the park referee right and Monica was horrified by the way because she's sitting beside me right and I shouted again get the so and so off referee and Monica's pulling my coat and said to me Jim we're surrounded by Welshmen and I said <laughs> one Scotsman's worth a thousand women oh, Welshmen get this brother <laughs> off right so anyway the end of the game as soon as the whistle went I stood up and I shouted ladies and gentlemen and they all turned round that were sitting near me and I said, I apologise for that, I lost my temper. And uh, they said, no, no, no problem. If our son had been stiff arm, we'd have been... So that was fine. So I'm going down the stairs. And there's a man standing in a half landing and he's in two elbow crutches. And he says, uh, Mr. Craig, can I have a wee word with you? I said, and I thought, I've got another going over here, by the way, right? So I went across. <laughs> 
he says, uh, Mr. Craig, I was uh, reading this book the other day and it was about football and it was about uh, the Lisbon Lions that mentioned your team and I was thinking to myself, that was amazing. How could a team of boys just roll from one little village to the... It's a Welshman talking, right? Mm. A village like Glasgow, he says, right? <laughs> Won the European Cup. But after seeing you in action up the stairs, I now know why you... <laughs> <laughs> He's seen the temper side, you know. <laughs> so you, 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 were, you were mentioning there that the, you know the, the night after the the European Cup final, and you come back to Celtic Park, yeah, and and, uh, and no expense spared, cold lorry, <laughs> cleaned, uh, cleaned. It was cleaned. Yes, was swept was it or washed? <laughs> All washed as well, gleaming. Yeah, but um, I mean that, that was a spectacular night as well. It was, yeah, because. Um, uh, Nobody had told us about it, you know, and I mean, even the trip through Glasgow, and I've got to disappoint some people here because uh, some of my teammates very naughtily have said through the years it was great going past Ibrox, well, we didn't go past Ibrox <laughs> because, frankly, the police would not have allowed us to go past Ibrox. We went along and down through the tunnel to North South River, right along there to uh, Parkhead Cross and then down Springfield Road and back into uh, Long London Road. Where, where did the, the crowds start appearing? Oh, God, as soon as we uh, came off, the, there was some at the airport for really? us as well, yeah. And from then on, um, you know, not very many people lived between the airport and the tunnel uh, at that time, but there was a few there. And then, of course, as you came down through the tunnel and along the north side of the river, oh, there was... A, you see, the itinerary had been uh, printed in the papers, yeah. so people knew where to, to stand and things like that. And that was just amazing to go along there and... And when we got to Celtic Park, I mean, we were not expecting, you know, the crowd that was there for us. It was just absolutely amazing. They missed the trick. It was free entry. Yeah. It was free entry, <laughs> but it was just amazing. And um, as I've told you, you know, I met my wife, our future wife, inside for the first time that night. And um, my life was never the same after that, you know. Yeah. Um, but on a football side, it was never the same either because... From then on, we were uh, Lisbon Lions, and I often think in my worst moments, had we played in Warsaw and had been beaten. <laughs> there are one or two alliterations well, no, you could... Well, yes, we'll not go there. No, but I'll let you work them out for yourself, you know, and you can imagine what we, what stick we might have got if we'd, if we'd lost, you know. The, but, bar's are, the bar's now set really, really high, of course, isn't yeah. it? And, uh, and then you're hit with a bombshell. Almost right away. Yeah, the one day, yeah. Um, we had heard rumours, we had seen bits and papers, but nobody had confirmed that we were actually going back to play uh, in the Stefano testimonial, and that was announced on the Monday. Um, he was at the cup final, the Stefano, was Yeah, he, he was, yeah. yeah. And um, he didn't think it was a penalty either, by the way, but he, <laughs> he always was an intelligent man. Right? Uh, Add him to the list of people there, <laughs> in, in, the including the Pope. Yeah. Including the Pope, yeah. And um, so... Uh, you know, it wasn't met with unanimous approval, uh, the decision, because the nervous flyers didn't want another flight. Mm-hmm. They'd had enough for the season. And there was a few of them. And then there was others who thought that uh, to win the European Cup on a Thursday and then 10 days later, to put the mythical European Cup up for challenge against the team that's just won the Spanish Championship wasn't a particularly good idea because... Um, yes. Um, if we're going to play a charity game, you know, make it a, a, against a team that we were certain to win against, you know, sort of idea. And um, I can't say I had any kind of, of uh, sort of um, feelings one way or another on on the situation. And um, I was quite 
pleased that I'm going to play in the Bernabeu because uh, I'd never been there. And, uh, a great honour, I suppose. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. And eventually, it was 115,000 there. It was a remarkable occasion. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, <laughs> I nearly made a fool of myself um, in 11 minutes because uh, he uh, he bent down and picked the ball up to Stefano. And I was about to shout for a foul, but that was the end of his game. <laughs> and he just stood with the ball in the air and everybody was to acclaim him. And I was like, myself, you, God, you don't put your foot in there, by the way, you're a foul. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he, he got a remarkable reception, and uh, at a banquet afterwards, there was there was a huge room we were in, in a hotel, and one wall was covered in trophies from all over the world. You know, places he'd never played before. I mean, I saw one myself. It looked pure gold. And it probably was because it was from the Saudi Arabia. You know, Football Association, and in those days that wasn't a very well-known association, but it was to Alberto de, de Alfredo Di Stefano for his services to football, and it would look beautiful, you know. And a wall was covered in them, you know. And I often, I've often wondered if anybody actually took a photograph of them because, as I mentioned already, nowadays you'd have your your camera in your pocket, wouldn't you? Part of your mobile phone. Oh, but in those yeah. days, you had to bring a camera, yeah. and not many people bought a camera, you know. So, but I often wondered if anybody had taken a photograph of that uh, particular uh, end of the, the 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 ballroom or dining room, whatever you want to call it, you know. But it was a great night, and we outplayed them on the night. We everybody hit top form. Boss was clever enough to make a couple of changes to make sure that you know, if we had been beaten, we could always say it wasn't the team that won in Lisbon, you know, yeah. and. Um, uh, we put on a, a really uh, great display and actually um, uh, throughout Europe we probably get more praise for the performance that night than we did uh, for the performance against Inter because yeah. yeah the feeling in quite a number of papers against Inter was that they'd been caught unawares by this team from Glasgow and and uh, were below par on the night and um, you know possibly uh, they were caught unawares etc etc and then 10 days later we showed against Real Madrid, who you know, I just won the Spanish Championship and were a really, really good side um, that we could play. And I think on a night we outplayed them. And I was against Francisco Hentel, who by that time was 37, was really very quick, you know. Yeah. Still so at that was, age. Oh, yeah. aye, aye, we were quick, all right. And it was, um, but it was really just a night where everybody played really, really well. A wee jammy was just outstanding on a night, you know. And at one point, ten minutes from the end, he took the ball and went up to the fullback and he waved him in. The fullback just lifted his hands and said no. <laughs> and um, I found out later on the boy was a Spanish international. But he'd had enough because Jimmy beat him every way you could possibly beat somebody. Uh, and that was one of Jimmy's um, strengths was, you know, he could come off both feet and beat a guy. and. And, uh, and, and it's pretty demoralising, I would imagine. People have said to me, you know, all through the years, what was it like to play against? Well, I never played against them because uh, we used to have games at the end of training, but they were always two touch. Yeah. So they were fast and quick and laying off and things like that. So Jimmy never dribbled. He was, you know, if he, if he needed two touches, the first touch was to kill it, second touch was to pass it. Yeah. You know, so that was the only times I played against him. I never actually played against him in a, in a, a match situation. You know? But I suppose it must have been a good view that, that, that you had sometimes from me uh, from behind. Oh, them. unbelievable, yeah. yeah. I, I've got to go on a few years uh, to 1971. Um, uh, we played Dundee United at uh, Celtic Park, beat them 7-1 or 7-2, I can't really recall the, the, the final score. And at the end of the game, Davy Wilson, ex-Ranger, Scotland international, a really talented wigger, who was playing outside right for Dundee United that night, he waited for Jimmy just off the park and said to him, wee man, that was the best display I've ever seen. Anywhere, anytime. 
what compliment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Jimmy, of course, was a uh, he, he was the jewel in the crown of the team, wasn't he? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. He could do things that nobody else could do with the ball, you know. Yeah. Uh, on that night, but apparently because people have told me different stories, and the one that they remember most is, and this apparently did happen, although I don't know if it's footage of it. He went a wee shimmy past the fullback. He did the second ball. He went to the third guy. He ran to the byline, overran the ball. Took it behind the goals, beat two good ball boys, came out the other side, flicked into the goalkeeper's hands, and then ran, ran back to his place again. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> the crowd gave him an ovation because it was brilliant, even though he'd overrun the ball, you know. <laughs> but I think, you know, look, but players like that, and, and, and of course, it's to be fair to, to modern players as well, there are players like that in the modern game as yep. well, who just, it's just clear they love playing football. Of course, yeah. You know, and yeah. which is really what it's all about, isn't it? It is, yes. And, and if you're given the talent but he should have worked at his talent you know yeah. he worked hard in the house um, to um, uh, to make sure that the, the talent was developed and um, um, he uh, you know he produced it uh, more often than not and he scored one of the best goals I've ever seen we played Rangers two each that game that uh, won as a title cut off the right wing and uh, left footed from about just outside the D I think it was you know they say 25-26 but I think it was but Further in than that, probably just outside the. And David Proven did exactly what you said you should do with a winger as well. Get get, get him to Push go him inside, across, yeah. yeah. And Jimmy just let fly in the top yeah. corner. You know, it was a, it was an amazing goal. You know. What 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 about some of the others? Like like a, a, like a quick sentence when you spoke spoke about Jimmy, but Ronnie. Well, Ronnie always uh, concentrated all the time. Um, very good at reading his lines. Uh, not the tallest. Uh, keeper in the world but he left cross balls to McNeil Gemma himself we're all 6 foot 1 so that was fine but great reactions uh, Tam well what can you say flamboyant but Tam delivered as well you know uh, it's already been flamboyant and delivering is, if you're flamboyant you don't deliver you got a problem but Tam always delivered and was uh, was a good teammate as well and I room with him all the time as well you know which was an interesting time by the way <laughs> <laughs> and as the boss would say when we arrived in a foreign part he would be giving out the team uh, the, the rooms and he would say 2-2-1 Ronnie Simpson John Fallon 2-2-2 Kearney Tam Kearney wait here a minute and I thought stop get everybody's room then he say when I care make sure he's doing for breakfast lunch and dinner at right time make sure he's on the bus I say boss this man's only six months younger than me by the way boss and he would say I don't care how what age he is he says you make sure he's doing for breakfast lunch and dinner you know so yeah Murdoch great all rounder you know the man that made the team pick uh, tick rather you know when he got the ball he could give you a five yard pass give you a 40 50 yard pass as well uh, McNeil majestic in the air you know, absolutely majestic in the air. And a good leader. He didn't have to shout a great deal. He just did it by example. And Luggy, brilliant at just, you know, reading the game at the back and covering up for all of us uh, in there. Jimmy, I've mentioned. Wispy, what a buy from Hearts, you know. Yeah. Great buy for him, suddenly coming to a team, because although Hearts were a good side, had a habit of not winning too much. And he suddenly comes to a team where he knows he's going to win things. And he rose to the challenge, Wispy. I mean, that season he scored vital goals against uh, Dukla Prague and against... Uh, Aberdeen the final you know and um, the, in, in some ways the the, um, the final must have been a frustrating game for those guys because they were being used more as decoys rather than as anything else so that the weight could come from the back take yeah. it into position to shoot you know and CV Rani's guts out you know at the best of times and great goal scorer as, well. as well and I mean he, his uh, you know big game was uh, against Dukla over there where he was up front 
And uh, that was a game, you know, there was all the, uh, you know, controversy over. Did we set out to defend? I don't think we... Well, I think we did in actual fact. The boss had said quite sensibly, this team is 3-1 down from the first leg. They're going to come at you and they're going to have a goal from the very beginning because they can't do anything else. So we'll sit in for a while. And the problem was, once we sat in, we couldn't get back out again. They were doing so well and we were under so much threat. So it wasn't really a a question of us us defending in depth. It was the fact that we'd been pushed back there and it was very difficult to come out and get forward. And Stevie ran his guts out that day, you know, because that was the the out ball, bang it up to him. And he just had to do what he could do with it to hold on to it for a while so we could get back up nearer the halfway line and start all over again. So he really did put a shift in that day. And Bertie, you know, along with Bobby in the middle of the park, Bobby, the kind of midfield purveyor from slightly further back, Bertie did it from slightly further forward as well. And uh, and Lennox, uh, Bobby, you know, just always a threat and uh, great pace. Bobby Charlton said that Bobby Lennox was the the best striker he ever played with after playing for him in a a testimonial. Well, he he had that great pace, which is always a a very useful thing for a striker to have. And of course, he's very good at, at scoring. Bobby was probably the best I ever saw at scoring on the run. You know, mm. he was also a cheeky beggar as well, by the way, because <laughs> I always remember one morning, it was a few years later, and we were at training, and it was a freezing cold day, and it was an icy surface, and we're doing that shooting exercise where you go forward with the ball, the, the passing exercise, you go at the ball, give the ball nearly more on the edge of the box, you bang it to the byline, and you would whack it across goal. And the strikers would try and score, the keepers would try and keep it out, you know. Yeah. And the keepers were on an icy day, it was brick hard, and they were having to get down, and the elbows and knees must have been really sorry. Anyway, I, we, we did it on the right-hand side for a while, and then we did it on the left-hand side, which is not really my favourite side, to be quite honest. So uh, I gave a ball to Neely, pushed it to the byline, I went down, and I whacked it across goal, and it rose slightly, and just at that moment, Jockstein bent forward and pointed to the two strikers to tell him something, and I hit him right in the right ear with the ball, right? And I walked away, I ricocheted, I went away, you know, I just walked back, <laughs> nothing to do with me at all, you know? So, and I walked back up again. <laughs> Lennox is the next one to go, and he's standing with his foot in the ball, and without opening his mouth too much, he says, uh, you could be in trouble here, Kenny, he says, He's having a good review of the situation. <laughs> no, you're all right. He's realised it's your left foot. It was a complete accident. You're okay. <laughs> but nothing worse than a cold morning and hitting the ear, you know. <laughs> Probably didn't do my status much good. What were the other guys, John Hughes? Well, I feel sorry for some of the other ones because it must have been a dreadful time. I mean, Willie Neal was a very good defensive fullback, but mm. Joe wanted people to come forward from that position and Willie uh, wasn't made for that he would have been in the, he'd have been a star player in the 50s because Phil Bikes didn't come forward you yeah. know and uh, I always felt kind of sorry for him that he was left out because of that and um, you know Charlie Gallagher would have made most teams um, but you know the boss preferred Bertie and, and Bobby in those in those roles and up front I mean Yogi you know, showed what he could do on regular occasions, but it was just a question of personal choice, and the boss went for Bobby Lennox uh, there. And you do wonder, um, people think that uh, Wispy was bought in after Joe was injured, but in actual fact, it, it was bought in before Joe yeah. was injured, and they, they played together a few times, you know. So you wonder which of that triumvirate of Lennox, John uh, Lennox, Chalmers, and and Wallace wouldn't have played yeah. on the final. Had Joe been... If Joe had Joe been fit, you know. And, um, not Lennox, sorry, McBride. 
uh, Wallace and Chalmers, which of those wouldn't have played? Look, look back in it now, is there, were you aware of the, the support, wider support in Scotland for the, you know, for the, your endeavours in the, in the cup final? Not really, John, no, because um, at the time when we were going for everything, it was essentially a Celtic thing. Um, I must be honest and say that I've never had the slightest problem with anybody. You know? Um, I, I think I was aware, as, as a kid at the time, I think I was aware that, that pretty much everybody, including a lot of Rangers fans who sure. knew, you know, were, yeah, yeah. Were, you know were, were hoping Celtic would win. But was it, how significant was it for Scottish football? Well, I think it was a big high for Scottish football. But put Scotland's name up there, put Celtic's name up there. Mm-hmm. And that's why even today, 50 years on, Celtic are always included in European things yeah. because we've won the European Cup. Since then, things have been a bit disappointing at times, and and we haven't we haven't reached the cup the um, UEFA Cup final as well in the early two thousands. Um, but in the Champions League, you know, we haven't always uh, performed particularly well, and that's where next season is a really crucial one for Celtic because yeah. I think from now on, now we've you know Ben has got a team playing really some nice football. His aim should be to make sure that every season Celtic have a fighting chance of getting into Europe. You know, now these uh, playoff games are not easy sometimes because yeah. you meet some good teams. Yeah. But we've got to rise above that and just make sure that if that's the only way we've got to get in, then we've got to do it and we've got to have a team. And I think this team has the makings of a good side. I think he, you know, the, the, there needs to be some strengthening done in, in certain areas of it. But I think for the most part, I think he, he can be quite happy with what's happened this season. I think most Celtic fans, uh, probably most Celtic fans who go to games, you know, weren't alive when they no, when, no. when you when you guys won the, the European Cup. But on Sunday at Celtic Park, it was a wonderful display uh, celebrating the the fiftieth anniversary. I mean, that must have been very emotional. Oh, aye, it was dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> I went through a whole pack of tissues, but no, it, unbelievable to be to be still recognised for you know things you did. Uh, all those years ago, you know, and um, I mean, my I've got you know grandchildren scattered in various countries. I've got two in four in New Zealand, and I've got two in Wales, and I've got you know three in Scotland. And um, some of them have said to me, the girls in particular, you know, um, come in Lisbon line. I arrive at the door, and they say, come in Lisbon line, because they quite like the sound of it, you know. Yeah. Grandpa, he's grandpa a bit different <laughs> from anybody else, you know. <laughs> And um, it's funny to, to hear the term still used after uh, all these years. But it's been a real privilege to uh, to go through life as one. It was rather sad yesterday when there was only a few of us could put in an appearance. Mm. And um, those of us who are still able to put in an appearance are very conscious of the fact that, um, you know, we've got to be on our best behaviour because we've got a tradition to uphold, you know. Yeah. Uh, I always say that the Lisbon Lions might not have been the best team in the history of the world. <laughs> Although I think we give most most teams a good game, mm-hmm. but I don't think any team has ever had a better relationship with the supporters. How, how how does it feel? I mean, and, and this I think probably goes for the Rangers team that won the Cup Winners Cup in '72 and the mm-hmm. Aberdeen team who won the Cup Winners Cup in the '80s. Um, these guys, their memories are going to live on forever. Yes, you know, yeah, and yeah. that that must be uh, from a from from an, from an egotistical point of view. That must be that must be quite nice. Well, 
we had no chance we get this though because um, Celtic fans bring you down the earth with a bump if you get to that stage. So, uh, <laughs> and I don't blame them for doing that at all. Um, no, that is true. And of course, uh, 67 camera work wasn't as good as it is now. I mean, that game was black and white for yeah. uh, on television and things like that. So um, by the time that um, Ars- uh, sorry, um, Aberdeen won it, you know, it was uh, colour and things are looking very much better. And I've seen film of their win and it's, yeah. it's a very nice film, you know. Although the weather wasn't as good that no, night. No, no, it wasn't as good, you know. But even Rangers 72, it was better than, 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 than Lisbon in 67. But John, it's just, um, it's been a remarkable life story for the boys. And I'm sure I can speak for all of them when I say it's been a real privilege to go through your life as um, a Lisbon Lion. And uh, we're very grateful to not only the Celtic support, but the support from everyone and um, just say, like to say thanks and we're grateful to you as well for spending some time with us today Jim thanks a lot Jim Craig there uh, speaking very eloquently on his part in the historic achievements of Jock Steen's Celtic in 1967 and it was great to have Jim agree to speak to us about it all and arguably the busiest week of his life since May 1967. Jim has a great blog where he gives a flying the wall view of that whole season match by match and it can be found at www.football50.uk Certainly a must for Celtic fans but I would say a mustn't miss for fans of any club The Craig White trial last week saw the advocate deputy come at the end of his witness list. As ever, testimony again seemed to be more jaw-dropping in the wider context of when on at Rangers around the time of White's takeover than the question of White's guilt or innocence. No James Dolman this week, but with the possibility of the defence opening its case in the coming week, he'll be back next week to keep us on track with that. Don't forget that you can subscribe to SFM Podcasts, including the Weekly Monitor, and you can do that at podcast.sfm.scot or on iTunes. It's free, so please go there and subscribe. Have a look at this week and other previous episodes as well. Next week, we'll present a review of the season from the perspective of the clubs and catch up, uh, of course, with James Dolman and the White Trial. But that's it for this week. My thanks to Jim Craig for sharing his memories and to you for being at one once again with TWM at sfm.scot. I've been John Cole. See you next time.